welcome everyone to a new episode of the Transcript Podcast. You've got me, Scott Chrisloff, an editor of the Transcript, along with Eric Mokaya, who's our lead author. We sent out a new issue of the newsletter yesterday. And what we picked up last week were really with some in the quotes, some just in the data itself, but inflation is a bit pesky. It's being stubborn and sticking around a little bit in a more robust fashion than people were expecting. I think that as the economy has stayed strong, as consumers are spending, this is making it so that inflation is harder to tame. And every data point that shows inflation is above expectations is one that could lead the Fed to raise interest rates more aggressively or keep interest rates higher for longer. And so that obviously has impacts on capital markets, which are trying to flood run a soft landing or no landing at this point. And so anything that dents that narrative is not going to be great for capital markets. Eric, any thoughts? Uh, the thing that I found striking the most is the quote, but there's a soft landing or a hard landing, get an umbrella either way. But so far, I think the signs that we see is there's a clear sign that the, uh, the consumer is pressured, especially that's what I pick Walmart, very pressured. Inflation is very sticky and very stubborn, especially on food. I don't know how that's been practically as it heads to the supermarket from your end. And then finally, of course, from Caesars Entertainment about how people are still spending out there, especially on travel and the kind of services that the Fed has been trying to focus on in terms of trying to tame inflation. So generally a pressured consumer, but a spending consumer at the same time. Yeah, it's interesting. I think one thing that's sticking out to me is I went, to, went out to dinner on Saturday I got the bill and it was like pretty expensive. And I walked away from it and it was like, God, that was really expensive. And as you're thinking about like consumer experiences, last week we talked about restaurants being really full. It's starting to feel like prices have just risen to a point where it's like, I don't know if we can keep really doing this in the same way that we have been. But that's just a thought there from an anecdotal standpoint. And then I think the other thing that was interesting to me, not only about the pesky inflation, but that labor markets appear to be slowing. There was a pretty important block of quotes that was from ZipRecruiter that we just had for our premium subscribers. But it definitely looks like labor markets are softening some, which is the counterbalance to some of this inflation and what the Fed will be looking at. Any thoughts on that one, Eric? The transcript by ZipRecruiter was a bit dark in the sense of they are seeing the last couple of months of last year and the beginning of this year especially small businesses are slowing down in terms of hiring. And that, that's quite a telling point, given that also like from the couple of transcripts we've read so far this year, especially restaurants are saying staffing is getting a little easier. What are you seeing in the labor markets around the U.S.? I think they've definitely gotten less tight. It seems to be certainly easier to hire than it hadn't been. We're picking up in the transcript lots of different quotes that are showing this. I think one thing that stands out to me was a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the number of drivers that are coming in. And that's an early indicator of people feeling inflationary pressures coming into market labor markets, having more supply of labor coming in, basically. So yeah, this is clearly a trend that we're seeing. Yeah, definitely. It's getting easier for companies to hire. I mean, for a while, we knew that it was difficult for them to hire, especially last year. Most restaurants, most tracking companies, even new by itself, had a really big challenge. And then suddenly this year, things are opening up. So that's a key point to keep track of. And maybe something else, retail companies important last week. So Walmart talking about high-income high, high income consumers coming to shop at their, at their place and they're still doing well. Retail inventories are I've been kept in check. Last year, the issue was them having excess interest, but 
they took markdowns on a lot of products and then it hit margins. By the end of the day, they're able to sell off a lot of the inventory that they had kept. Anything you picked up yourself? Yeah, I think the home improvement stuff that Home Depot and TJ Maxx or TJX companies as they're called now. I think, again, it goes back to the shift from goods towards services that we've seen post-pandemic and how strongly housing markets were. Home Depot, the thing that struck me is that the home improvement market on current trends would be down low single digits. And X said their home goods line, that, that store was running at a minus 7% comp. So you're seeing reasonably significant headwinds to the home improvement sector. And this does in some ways link up to the real estate markets, generally housing markets, housing prices, but the counterweight to that is just supply is so low in housing markets that even as interest rates have risen and demand is, is coming down, it's still difficult to see large drops in prices because of the lack of supply in the market. Home Depot is clear in terms of guidance for the year that their comps are going to be either flat or slightly negative. So I think home improvement segments really challenge going into this year. And something else that was striking in the retail section, my consumer section, is Amazon being the world's largest advertiser. A very interesting development. It, it looks like at the end of the day, every company becomes an ad company in some way. What's your take on that? Yeah, I think it speaks to just Amazon scale in terms of how large it is as a retailer that it's becoming the largest advertiser as well. Yeah. It was interesting to me. So Amazon GPT soon? Amazon <laughs> GPT. Exactly. It's hard. It was kind of a light week this week. What's the calendar look like for this week? This week is pretty light, but there's a fintech conference where MasterCard Visa will be speaking. I think the CFOs will be speaking this week, so they will pick up a bit of data and points on how the consumer is doing. And I don't think this matter is changing, especially from those two, but something to look out for. Something else is also Target is reporting this week, Salesforce, a couple of other tech companies. But I think it's, we're heading into the low season, heading into March, and maybe it picks up around in April. Yeah. I think, again, it goes back to what the focus of this week's newsletter was inflation results. I think the data, whatever we're seeing from an inflationary standpoint, whether inflation is persisting or is actually coming back down towards the 2% target level. If inflation is higher than expectations, it's going to be something that the market isn't really, isn't really situated well to deal with right now. So that's the main thing we should be looking for this week and next. Something else we should talk about is a bit about the Berkshire Hathaway letter 2022 dropped this weekend and there's a lot to big from. I think one of the things for me that stood out was the, that the entirety of his life, he has made 12 decisions, which have resulted in the kind of returns that he's done over his lifetime. So it tells you a lot that sometimes in life, it's not so much the number of decisions, it's much more about the quality of the decisions that you're making. And so sometimes it's good to take a pause a bit and reflect a, a lot about it. Any takeaways from you, from your end? Uh, I think it's let your winners run, right? Because there's 12 important decisions in the context of thousands of micro decisions that are probably made over the course of that career. It's also so interesting that he operated from, I think 1957 was the sort of the partnership until today. And he actually self-described does not invest in technology, had never felt like it was a place that he wanted to invest. And yet this is like the key driver of economic growth over that entire period. 
And so he was able to somehow not invest in technology companies or ride any waves of technology, including like even the internet, which has been probably the most important wealth creator at the lifetimes of anybody who's living on the planet today and still be able to be as successful as he has been or generate as much value as he has been. It's a bit of a puzzle, honestly, when you look at Warren Buffett's investing philosophy and how much value he's been able to generate from it. It's pretty interesting, but yeah. Shouldn't we then run into the latest fund that is AI and not invest in it also and hopefully we've stand out well? <laughs> you think so? I think probably all of his companies end up benefiting from the technology trends. That's really the key of it. From an operating standpoint, like for instance, Geico is able to deliver insurance at much better unit economics on the internet than it was even 30, 40 years ago. So he does end up benefiting. He does end up riding technology is just through his, through his company. And I'm sure AI will be grafted into that as well. One more point, maybe from the, from our section, the wisdom section, it was about invest with people eating their own cooking. That's a really nice way that you put it. For me, what came to mind was the transcript in terms of the quotes that we're reading. We actually use them to do our own personal investing. So it's not like we tell you stuff and then we go and do something completely opposite of what we actually do. So we actually, it's our feeder into our investing process, our thinking process. It's something that we actually consume and use ourselves. So we are just sharing part of it with the audience. What made you give you that, give it that title? Oh, I think that's something that I've always thought about in terms of the investing side of things. It's if you give somebody agency over things that are important to you, but they don't themselves have some vested interest in it, poor outcomes can happen. So for instance, like one of the reasons you probably feel safer getting into a car with a taxi driver or an Uber driver is because they're in the car with you. But somebody who is driving from far away remotely, they just, they don't have the same incentives to stay vigilant and safe and all of those things. So the same in investing. All right. Nice. Thank you. I think that's a good place to stop. I think for this week, thank you so much for joining us on the Transcript Podcast. See you again next week for another edition. Bye. Thank you.